Cycle Insurance. This is Wheel Life. Legal Reflections on Vulnerable Road Users. The podcast where two experienced lawyers, who also happen to be enthusiastic cyclists, chat their way through topics concerning cyclists and other vulnerable road users from a legal and insurance perspective. Hi, and welcome to this edition of Wheel Life, where we will discuss cycle insurance and whether you need it. I'm Caroline Hall of DAC Beechcroft. And I'm Emily Formby of 39 Essex Chambers. Hello. Hi, how are you doing this week, Emily? I'm doing really well, actually. Enjoying the sunshine. I had a electric bike rental morning this morning because I came in on the train and then jumped on my jump bike and uh, got to work really early, got into chambers and just listening to birdsong is gorgeous. How about you? How's things with you? Not too bad. I'm about to start a charity bike ride this weekend. We have to do 60 miles over the weekend. We're doing it as a, um, as 10 of us doing a virtual le jog. And so I have to do 60.5 miles of it. And I will, <laughs> I was meant to start today. I haven't. I've got a feeling Saturday is going to be a very long day of cycling <laughs> to catch up. But I'm sure I'll do it. But we're doing it for the uh, School of Hard Knocks charity. And uh, I'll let you know how it goes next time. And that reminds me, I have my sponsorship form to fill in. (laughs) Yes, you do. (laughs) So anyway, this week, we actually have a special guest with us. um, And I'd like to welcome Lawrence Hunter, who's a VP at LACA. LACA are a specialist bike insurer who describe themselves as a collective of optimists that look out for each other on and off our bikes. Hi, Lawrence. Hi there, guys. Thanks for having me. Hi, Um, Lawrence. Very nice to have you on. Quite excited about this episode because I know so little about specialist bike insurance. Right. Well, yeah, insurance and, and cycling is in my sweet spot. So hopefully you can uh, add some insights and, and, and some enlightenment. Yeah, I think what we wanted to cover off this week and just discuss is, well, most people who've got bikes um, might have their bikes covered under the house insurance. But are they covered outside of the home if they have an accident with somebody or if their bike is stolen elsewhere? So as we all know, um, if you have a car, you've got to have compulsory insurance. However, if you have a bike, you don't have to have compulsory insurance. It's one of those things that um, the governing bodies have decided there's so few accidents involving cars, I'm sorry, involving bikes and um, injuries to people that they don't need to be insured. However, that's obviously only one aspect of things. People who own a bike, will know that bike theft happens quite a lot. So you might want that bike insured um, so you can recover the cost. Emily, um, I know you've got, uh, we've talked before about your 12 bikes. Um, <laughs> do, yes. you have, do you have them insured? Well, it's really interesting, actually, when we were looking at some of the background for this episode, it did lead me to reflect upon the fact, I think it would be fair to say, I consider ourselves now going forward to be rather underinsured. (laughs) Um, We've got the usual kind of insurance on um, the house, um, but that only is quite a low limit. And um, as listeners to the podcast, and as Caroline certainly knows, over the last year, we've branched out into the e-mountain bike world. And while nothing like as expensive as some of the bikes you can see, uh, they certainly come in at a price that is over uh, that which we have insured. And um, there's a sort of difference between the kind of old bone shaker that you take to and from the pub and leave, you know, on the railings outside and your uh, kind of fancy pants electric bike or, uh, you know, people have extraordinarily amazing bikes, but those kind of more top end bikes. So I have a little bit, but possibly not enough. And, and, And we don't have anything beyond the actual bikes themselves. 
Yeah, well, I'm slightly different in that um, when I bought my new bike at the beginning of last year and it was quite expensive, my home insurer wanted to double the premium um, of my policy to add my bike on. Um, Most home insurance um, policies will cover a general bike up to £500, but if you have something worth more than that, you have to list it as a specific item. And obviously, it's going to have an effect on your premium. Um, I was quite shocked that adding a bike on to my full house and contents would double a premium. So I went looking elsewhere and I actually ended up at Lacquer, um, which is not the reason I've got Lawrence on at all. Um, <laughs> but looking I just, good I, discount, are you? <laughs> <laughs> no, I just I looked around there and I was trying to look for something different um, and I can cover my bike and Lawrence in a moment will go, will explain how they do things slightly differently. Um, but I think most people, you want your bike covered, but from the job that I do, and obviously we spent the last few weeks talking about accidents to people on bikes or uh, people on bikes causing accidents to other people. I want to make sure that I've got some cover if that happens. Um, most home insurance policies will also cover you if you have um, an accident out and you injure somebody else as a public liability cover up to two million pounds on most policies. I say two million, that's fairly about standard for public liability. Um, but there's also um, if I go out and do longer rides, that's not necessarily covered. If I take part in events, it's not necessarily covered. So it's just looking at what as a cyclist I might want to cover myself for. Um, as we said, it's not compulsory. Um, and less than 1% of consumers are thought to actually have bike insurance. Um, that's from an article from July of last year. Um, also, one-off term insurance for bikers had started to grow in the market from 5.9% in 2018 up to 9.8% in 2019. So you can see that people are starting to think about insurance a bit more, possibly because they're spending more on their bikes or possibly because they're more aware of things. The other issue um, that I've mentioned a couple of times already is bike thefts. And an article in The Guardian last year in July um, said that insurers were warning that there was a 46% increase in bike thefts in the preceding seven weeks. Um, Again, it's something I think Lawrence will come to shortly. Uh, But the other other thing I just wanted to raise, um, I think the main thing for me is the the accidents um, I potentially could cause to other people. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, just before we leave the bike theft, it's interesting that that um, uh, statistic came from July 2020, which, uh, if memory serves, is when lockdown had just um, ended. Nobody could do anything except go out and cycle, and you couldn't have a bike for love or money. There were none to be bought around the country. So um, whether that was a, a particular spike, given the weather and the, the time, or whether that was just a reflection of increased bike use would be uh, interesting to see what's happened in the following few months. But Anyway, as you say, much more serious is the, is the position of, of causing injury and harm to others. Well, perhaps, OK, if we park that and ask Lawrence about thefts now, now that we've just been mentioning it. Lawrence, what's your uh, experience um, at Lacquer in terms of bike thefts in the last year? Have you seen the, uh, the kind of increase those stats um, tend to imply? Yeah, I think our experience pretty much follows that trend in terms of increases and, and the timing of it. Um, yeah, there are, there are factors at play that uh, people are maybe using the bikes more as, as lockdown lifted over the summer. Uh, lots of new cyclists perhaps buying lower end bikes, using them to get around rather than public transport. Uh, but the, the more sort of worrying trend, I suppose, perhaps driven by the shortage of supply of bikes is, is, is how brazen the thefts are becoming. It's not just um, thieves snipping a lock uh, at a train station. 
thieves are targeting sort of um, communal storage locations in the blocks of flats and offices. So, uh, and, and using really quite heavy duty and specialist kit, it's not sort of opportunist. And I think yeah, the fact, as we mentioned, shortage of supply and, and increased demand has meant professionals are coming to this area now. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't realise that. And and that's continued throughout the year, has it? Uh, I'd say certainly over the last six months, that's a trend we've seen uh, increase in numbers of thefts and, and definitely more brazen. Yeah. And I think, well, I know um, I had a friend who, who still maintains her bike was stolen to order. She'd only had it a couple of weeks. It was at home. It was changed to a, um, a cast iron pipe within her garage. So the garage was locked, bike was locked, and it was targeted and it was taken. Uh, but the the downside to the story for her was she'd had the bike a couple of weeks, but they hadn't specifically added it onto the insurance policy mm. for the house. Oh. Uh, and it was worth a couple of thousand pounds and, oh, that is uh, because they hadn't declared it. She had yet to pay the bike off and she couldn't get it back either. And she didn't have a bike. So, yeah, it was one of those cautionary tales. Um, and yesterday when i took a straw poll of colleagues asking about their bike insurance there was quite a lot of people flagging up similar to you said at the start emily that they don't necessarily have enough cover in place for the bikes that they hold yeah well i would say for bike theft i mean i've spent the last what 20 or 30 years being a regular cyclist in london and um over that time i've never had terribly expensive bikes but i've only had one that has worn out the others have all been nicked along the way <laughs> but um, actually from being out and about i mean i can think one after a particularly good night in the pub we came out and thought was that the lamppost we used and then realized it was another was outside um when i was at law school it was a really cheap lock it was a terrible bike actually if they could have pedaled that home they'd have been away welcome to it um you know uh, so i've had sort of two or three nicked but all from what i'd call absolutely opportunist theft mm. from um, being on the street and with regular but not particularly fancy locks so this is a whole new sort of league inside your garage chained up that's uh, quite serious yeah that's Absolutely. quite serious breaking and entering isn't it i think yeah and, and insurance clearly is there to protect uh people against the, the cost of those thefts if, if insurance is the right option for them but definitely a piece of advice is to use the police uh have a service where you can uh apply a number to your bike i can't remember the name they they, they give that number but uh, a tracking number and that'll really help in the recovery of your bike if you know, your bike gets stolen you see it pop up on ebay online two weeks later you're only able to or the police rather only able to attempt to recover that bike if they can prove it is the exact same bike and, and they need their number to do that we've had cases where we've paid out claims and of course where we pay out a claim for damage or theft if there's money that we can recoup and uh, sort of offset against the cost of the claim to keep costs down for our customers. We do that. We've had situations where we've, we know it's the bike that's on online for sale, uh, but we haven't been able to give the police the concrete proof they need to try to recover that bike. So, yeah, if insurance isn't sort of uh, right for you, then definitely I'd suggest using that tracking system. Yeah, and the police are really good at, um, during the summer months, if you're out on any group rides or you're going through the local villages anywhere near me, the police will have set they set up a tent on the side of the road and they flag you down and they will, sometimes they do it for free, other times you have to pay kind of thing, but they, they, they know where the cyclists are going at the weekends with the high-end bikes and they they do pop-up service so you can have your bike marked. Um, they also turn up all the sporties I've done. They tend to be there to mark bikes as well because, as you said, it's um, it's preventative, but ultimately if it does get stolen, it helps you um, reclaim your bike at the other end. 
they grab us commuters at Admiralty Arch. Yeah. <laughs> they often set up a. Um, they have a sort of um, actually something we'll talk about on another episode. They have they often have a lorry as well, so you can see how invisible you are from a lorry. But um, they have a tent. And they'll give your bike a quick check over and mark it at the same time. Um, and that is a good point because insurance is insurance, but ultimately you want your bike back. Um, and also they have the auctions, don't they? The police have uh, lists of bikes that they've recovered uh, that they photograph and show that you can. Uh, track down to see if it's your bike if you have an idea of the location where it was stolen from yeah but one of the things to check is whether or not you've got insurance on your home policy or with another provider is um, what the policy is in relation to your bike away from your property Um, if it's in your car if it's if you're traveling if it's locked on the back is always check the terms of the policy to make sure that you're covered for what you think you're covered for Um, and most of the providers as well will have in terms of uh, locks you're going to have to have a lock of a certain quality um to be able to um claim back um most of one of the reports i read um lawrence and you might want to confirm this is um a lock that's equal the price of the lock is equal to 10 to 20 percent of your bike cost um which on some bikes could be quite an expensive lock Um, i think that applies to a point yeah Yeah. and the lack of the standard we require is a a sold secure gold uh, standard lock if you're going to be locking your bike up outside that's what we require um yeah there are still bike thefts that happen as i said thieves are getting more brazen using more heavy duty equipment but a gold lock is is probably a good place to start it is ironic isn't it you buy a really expensive bike and one of the things you go for is its lightness (laughs) and then you have to shackle around your waist an incredibly heavy lock so you can leave it to go and get a copper yeah, we, we have those questions from customers all, all, all the time. You have fancy high-end bikes. And of course, you're only required to lock your bike if you're not with your bike. If you're with your bike and if you can sort of, we call it unattended, if your bike's unattended, then you need to lock your bike. If not, then there's no need for you to lug your heavy gold lock around the Surrey Hills if that's, if that's what you do. But if you are using the bike to get to the pub and you, you're going to be inside and lock it to a lamppost, then um, yeah, we do ask that you use a, a certain standard of lock. Yeah, it's all pretty common sense. I don't think I've ever locked my bike up anywhere on the basis either I'm going out with friends, so you all keep the eye on the bike while somebody goes in and gets the, the coffee or the pint or whatever it is. Or um, here, we've got amazing bike cages here that you have to scan to get in. You then lock your... We have, I've got a, a, a lock here as well, but you've got to scan about three times to even get into the building to get anywhere near the bike cages. So um, it's quite lucky from that point of view kind of thing. So... Um, so bike thefts is, I think, a, something close to most of our hearts. But the other issue that um, I referred to earlier was in relation to accident cover. And I think the we mentioned this previously, I think it was possibly back in the first podcast, um, sorry, the first episode, was the uh, incident um, back in June 2019, the case of Brushgut and Hazeldean involving the cyclist and pedestrian in London. And the reason this one got publicity everywhere um, and it ended up leading to a GoFundMe um, uh, campaign was because the cyclist didn't have any cycling insurance, didn't have any home insurance, didn't have any, any insurance in place. So as a result, when um, this went to trial and it was found on a 50-50 basis that he was 50% responsible for the accident, he was ordered to pay the claimant £8,232 worth of damages, which when you apply the Conneg discount brings it down to 4161 which doesn't sound like a huge amount of money, um, 
But I don't know about you. I don't think I could necessarily put my hands on that to pay somebody back that quickly. The main issue was in relation to the costs on this case. Um, It fell out of the normal portals. And as a result, the rumoured costs from the claimant solicitors were about £112,000. So if you're looking at £112,000 worth of costs, plus £4,000, that's a lot of money for anybody to find. Um, as I said, this this case got quite a lot of publicity. So as a result, a lot of concerned cyclists put together a GoFundMe page. And eventually, after some negotiation, um, a few of the different points, um, the costs were actually brought down to £30,000. I would just say at this point that um, while it quite rightly had a lot of publicity about the issue of insurance, I think it's important not to forget that there was a poor woman who was crossing the road who was mm. basically you know, mown down by a cyclist who didn't stop. And while the cycling community obviously came to the aid of one of their own, I think actually leaving aside the um, um, costs, uh, which we all know the costs of litigation can be as they are, you know, essentially here was a woman just going about her business, crossing the road in a group of people, uh, and Mr. Hazeldean cycled at some considerable pace straight into them. So um, as a start of a 10, I think that the first thing to take away is as a cyclist, as we always say, be mindful of those around you, um, because then the accident wouldn't have happened in the first place. Uh, but the second point, obviously, is um, that of uh, insurance, and and that would have provided a far easier ride um, <coughs> excuse the pun, a far easier course for Mr Hazeldean had he had such insurance in place. Do you think the pedestrian in that case would have been better protected had insurance for cyclists been compulsory and there there been greater scope for uh, the, the, the gentleman to cover those costs in, in awards and, and legal costs? I think that's a really difficult point, actually. And, and I know Caroline, by her intake of breath, also has things to say. But I think... Um, uh, the debate about whether there should be compulsory insurance for cyclists is a very particular and difficult one because, of course, it would lead to all sorts of other things of registration, of management, of um, things that would all have a chilling effect on overall people cycling. And um, the benefit of, of moving from cars to cycling are such that, and the number of accidents are so low, I think it's quite difficult to justify uh, compulsory insurance. Um, I think the best thing would have been for Mr. Hazeldean to have cycled sensibly um, and for him to have, um, you know, uh, not not ha- not have the accident happen. And of course, I don't know all the ins and outs from both of their points of view, but um, for the claimant's point of view, she was injured. I mean, I suppose she could have been injured, for example, if somebody had run across the road in the other direction, run into her and knocked her over, as an example of another way in which people would be injured. And you wouldn't suggest that the pedestrian should have uh, insurance. So um, in in these particular circumstances, I'm always wary because we all know ins and outs of cases. We all know how partial reporting can be without knowing a lot more about the particulars of this case. But in general, I'm not convinced that uh, compulsory insurance for cyclists is the way to go as a society as a whole. But obviously, in this instance, it would have uh, made life a lot easier for everyone. I I think the point I was trying to make with this in in terms of my personal view because obviously I deal with these cases day in day out is that if I had an accident for any reason and I knock somebody over I would want to be able to have to be able to pay their compensation 
get them back to a position that they would have been but for the injury that I caused some kind of thing and that's that's my personal view because I see this all the time um, and I, I want to be able to have that money in place to give to those people to but as you said it's the cycling in beforehand and knowing what happened well we don't 100% know what happened um, but accidents do sometimes happen. My brakes could have failed. It could have happened. And I would want to be in a position to compensate. But I agree with you in terms of the chilling effect that everybody having to have insurance as a cyclist, it would have a massive impact on what everyone's trying to do in terms of the environment. And most in accidents involving cyclists and pedestrians, they're minimal. Um, and that's why it's not compulsory. But from your point of view, Lawrence, as the man on the street with the insurance hat on, what do you think? Well, I think uh, Caroline's considerations in in choosing to buy insurance are, are the right ones. Can you can you foresee uh, the type of thing you're trying to protect against happening? So, can you foresee an accident happening? Uh, can you cover the cost of of the consequences of those accidents without it having a major financial impact on you and, and your life? And you know, you can apply the, these considerations to the bike itself and and to liability. Um, and then what does it cost to offset that risk? And, and that's the sort of value equation. Liability insurance itself, I think, is with Lacquer, it's one pound a month via the Lacquer Club. It's relatively inexpensive and it gives you the sort of peace of mind that in an extreme scenario, um, you won't be having to find uh, significant amounts of money were you to be found to have caused an accident. So you're protecting um yeah, against those extremes, can you foresee the event happening and, and what are the impacts? And if they're quite extreme in both cases, uh, yeah, insurance might be an effective way to offset, offset that. Going back to, the, to that case, obviously, as I said, the figures came down and ultimately everything was paid. Um, and I think uh, Mr. Hazeldean ended up having about £3,000 to found, find himself on top of that. Um as you've just said, in terms of getting um, bike insurance, cyclist insurance, um, public liability insurance, the cost of, is relatively low for cyclists versus a car insurance premium, um, depending on what you're going to cover. Um, and this leads in nicely to one of our questions from one of our listeners. Um, this has come in from a friend of mine, Paul, who has... Um, oh, you ruined it there. It made it sound like we had actual listeners, not just mates. <laughs> <laughs> Should we go back and re record that bit? Uh, but no, uh, so Paul, I, I specifically asked a couple of friends who I do know listen to the podcast, honestly, um, <laughs> about what their, what, anything they wanted covered. And um, Paul specifically from day one has asked about insurance. Paul has quite a lot of expensive mountain bikes, um, adding up to 13, quite a lot of money, £13,000. Um, and the questions that he asked, and Lawrence has seen this already, so Lawrence knows what's coming. But the question he asked was that um, liability and theft uh, cover for his bikes, and he's been quoted £700. It's far more than car insurance, and always need, and they always need to be locked. Whereas they are covered under the home insurance for up to two and a half thousand per bike. It's too much to justify cover, and I haven't had a bike stolen for thirty years, um, which is lucky for him. I was going to say uh, that's not my experience. <laughs> he obviously doesn't leave them. <laughs> no, I, I, to be honest, I think he probably strokes them quite a lot and has them um, <laughs> bubble wrapped and everything else. Um, do I have any? Um, I know they're just trying to make money as an insurer, but it's, it's just too much for the average person to pay. Um, do I have any other options such as just having cover for, uh, say, 5,000 of the value? If they were all stolen at once, it'd be very unfortunate. 
although we were just obviously talking about stealing to order. Um, also, do you think that all bike owners should have a liability insurance, which obviously we've just covered off? Um, also, he, he just wanted to flag that he does have his cycling proficiency badge, so does that get him a discount if he was assigned <laughs> to you for insurance? So... In terms of insuring, um, obviously, kit, you've just said, obviously, public liability insurance is an add-on and it's relatively cheap, but actually insuring your kit can be quite expensive. Um, it can be, but maybe worth spending a moment just to explain how we do things mm -hmm. at Lacquer that's slightly yeah. um, unique. So we, we mentioned at the beginning that Lacquer is a collective of cyclists, and, and what we mean when we say that is that... Um, it's Lacquer's customers, our collective, who cover the cost of each other's claims. And Lacquer just facilitates that, adding a fee for settling claims. So what we do is at the end of each month, we tally up all of the claims that we've actually paid out to our, to our members. Uh, and we split the cost of those claims across our members. So if there were no claims in a month, no one would pay anything. But clearly with lots of members, claims happen. Um, and so the cost that our customers pay each month is a direct reflection of, of the claims that have happened and we as their insurance company we only make money by settling claims by adding a 25 percent fee on top of settled claims so unlike in the old insurance world we're there's no financial incentive for us to to deny claims in fact uh, there's an incentive for us to settle claims and provide the best service so in terms of the cost of insurance with lacquer you know you're paying a fair price that's reflective of, of claims that have actually taken place. And Caroline will have seen over the last few months as the weather's been appalling and lockdowns have um, been in place, I think our, our claims costs have gone down to reflect the fact that people are using their bikes less and less accidents are, are happening. Um, so that's that's on the lacquer model. Um, in terms of the actual cost of, of pools, bikes, again, I'd, I'd make that consideration um, could you cover the cost of replacing all those bikes uh, if the worst were to happen? And if the answer is yes, and it wouldn't impact another part of my life, I wouldn't be cancelling the family holiday or, or having to sell the, the, the family silver, then um, yeah, maybe it's something you can absorb yourself. If the answer is no, then particularly in the lacquer model, it's an effective way of, of, of offsetting that risk. So. Um, depending on how that 13,000 pounds of bikes uh, is, is split. So depending on whether it's on one bike or 13 bikes, the price would be slightly different, but um, with lacquer, it cost about 45 pounds a month, um, slightly less if there are fewer claims and slightly more if there were more claims, but about 45 pounds a month, which means that um, Paul would have to make a consideration whether he thinks he would have £13,000 worth of claims in about a 25-year period, which is about how long it would take to cover that cost in premium. Um, although we've touched on theft mostly today, uh, the majority of our claims from someone like Paul come from damaged claims, uh, where he's out using his mountain bike at the weekend, bent derailleurs, damage to the frame, that sort of thing. So although theft, I think, is the the... I suppose the most extreme claim that people think of because it's in one hit big total loss in, in one go but actually the attritional claims over time are, are where we see the majority of costs for someone like Paul um, so again make that consideration do you think you'll have £13,000 worth of claims over 25 years uh, if the answer is maybe then insurance might be the, the, the right way to offset that and of course uh, when you think about home insurance 
there's so many different factors at play. Not not all home insurance policies are, are made equal. You've got to consider Caroline's uh, insured high premium increase to add your bikes. There are limitations on single bike values. Uh, there are limitations on total bike values. Then, of course, cover and premium uh, are two of the considerations that I think the third in the value sort of circle, let's call it, is, is service. And with a specialist insurer like us, you know that if you have a claim, you're going to be dealing with people that know uh, the intricacies of your mountain bike rather than at your home insurer, someone who's settling fridge claims one minute and mountain bike claims the next. Um, I suppose there's also, um, when we were looking at kind of questions of insurance and uh, getting ready for this episode, I had a little look at some of the membership organisations because, of course, that's another area where you're perhaps a little bit between two stalls. You've got the sort of specialist membership organisations like uh, British Cycling and... Um, Cycling UK. And Cycling UK. Um, and um, they offer specialist provision for bikes with a lot of other facilities as well um, and how do you feel that how does that sort of sit with your model or or with the household insurance it seems to be somewhere between the two really isn't it but yeah there, there are clearly those two organizations are focused on cyclists so, so they would understand uh you as a cyclist and when you came to claim would, would probably be a better um service than than on your home insurance both of those organizations work with specialist bike insurers to provide that element to their service. And, and so I think we're actually talking about ultimately quite a similar thing. There's, there's lacquer and there are other specialist providers um, and then there's home insurance. And, and to be fair, actually, I should point out that those organizations offer you a discount on taking out bike insurance. They don't offer it as part of the membership. You get various, um, you get various benefits with membership, but, but obviously this gives you that sort of access to specialist advice and support. Yeah. And they cover you for events as well. Um, and there's different levels. You can get commuting cover with them for all the way up to I'm a racer and I'm going for, medals and everything else so yeah. and they give you liability insurance so they give you that third party insurance they give you kind of legal assistance and stuff um so yeah i mean obviously you need to look at it um, we're not in the business of recommending one thing or another we're really just sort of having a look at what it all is but I, th I think it's it's looking at it and realizing there's the different aspects of it there's yeah, the bike yeah. there's there's also your own injury cover um and whether or not you the insurance that you take out has any form of cover to cover you if you come off your bike because no reason no fault of anybody else no fault of any anybody apart from the fact something's just gone wrong you've come off your bike and you've injured yourself um, whether or not there's cover for that and whether or not you take that out in your policy which is obviously different to as we just said third party cover which covers if if you unfortunately injure somebody else so there's the different levels to look at and as Lawrence was saying you've got to look at and work out what you want to cover you for um going out and about in your daily life well i suppose caroline from our point of view as injury lawyers we only ever kind of come across a third party situation you know that's the whole the whole issue when there's liability and there's harm caused by one person or another but it's interesting as lawrence says a lot of lacquer's involvement is actually not with anything other than you've had a cracking good weekend and you've ended up hurting your bike in the process you know uh, and of course that's not a matter of liability at all that's just um uh protecting yourself against the sheer fun of your cycling experience is uh, no downside to that. <laughs> exactly. And on, on the injury to yourself, um, yeah, the, the bike is one thing, but it, it, we have a product also uh, that covers for our members for injury to themselves. We call it a recovery product. In, 
more traditional language in insurance is it's a personal accident product and what that covers is yeah, no one's at fault you're out on your mountain bike at the weekend and you, you go a bit too extreme and you cause an injury to yourself we would cover the cost of a, a medical assessment which we can do virtually um, the cost of private medical treatment up to a certain point that can include um, physiotherapy as well but the reason we call the product the recovery product is really that we take it one step further and aim to do two things one to get you back on your bike faster with those sort of specialist services like physiotherapy and then two to minimize the impact of that injury on your life as a cyclist and that goes across the whole spectrum of cyclists um, from a commuter where if they were injured and they couldn't use their bike to ride to work we'd provide them uber credits until they were um, on the mend and, and, and so they can use the uber credits to get around if you're right at the other end of the spectrum and you're sort of a, a hardcore racer we can send a watt bike to your home um, so that you know if your collarbone's in a sling and you can't go out on the road you can at least keep your fitness up indoors so um, yeah the bike is one thing injuring someone else or, or, or being liable is another and, and then of course you, injury to yourself is, is a big concern for a lot of our members as well it's quite funny i'm looking at that thinking i cover my bike i cover injuring somebody else but i don't actually cover injuring myself <laughs> <laughs> well i was just thinking it's interesting when caroline and i sometimes talk about other episodes we generally t- make our episodes about things that we are curious about ourselves and one of the things we've talked about is actually the desire of cyclists in particular to keep fit and keep going despite I mean we often obviously see it when they've had very serious injuries or involved in um, sometimes life-changing accidents Um, uh, but it's really interesting that you have a whole product that's designed at getting the cyclist back on if not an actual bike a uh, model of a bike as soon as possible and obviously that is something uh, driven doubtless by your members saying saying what they want I mean, it sounds like you've had quite a lot of fun coming up with uh, the kinds of things you're going to do to kind of mark yourself out as as different and it's quite um imaginative what do you see going forward do you see changes going forward that you might be prepared to consider or incorporate in your plans yeah um so yeah, thanks for the kind words we do try and put a, a different spin on all, all the things we do um I think as uh, we've mentioned, lots of new people are dusting off their bikes from the shed uh, for the first time in years or, or going to Halfords and buying an e-bike for the first time where they don't want to, um, you know, either they're concerned about the environment or they're concerned about the current circumstances and don't want to, to jump back on the tube or public transport so quickly. So we're seeing a huge growth in um, the number of people using bikes for the first time in a long time so we're uh, we've got in the pipeline a brand new proposition design for those newer cyclists the sort of one-stop shop for all of your cycling needs we have something called the lacquer club at the moment but that's going to be seriously beefed up um, and will be the one-stop shop for all of your uh, cycling needs I'm, I'm trying not to sort of uh, get into the too much details it's coming in the next few weeks but definitely keep your eyes peeled there'll be uh, lots more cover in there with a with a lack of twist that will hopefully um, meet the needs of those people that are jumping on the bike again for the first time so basically looking at cycling from uh, sorry insurance from a cycling cycling cyclist perspective rather than a car driver's perspective so looking at it looking at insurance entirely differently then yeah, what are, what are the three, four, five things you need when you, you jump on a bike for the first time? You need to think about its maintenance, you need to protect, think about 
protecting yourself against some of the risks uh, involved with using that bike. And, and yeah, we've put a proposition in the pipeline that I think is going to touch on a lot of those points and really, I suppose, support people in, in jumping on the bike. Okay, so what I want is a good, um, a good, well-fixed uh, mug holder that I can put on the front of my handlebars with a completely non-spill coffee mug so I can have my coffee while I'm commuting so when uh, my son was a baby they just started to bring them out to put on to push chairs and um, I always looked at them with some envy and I just actually realized that's what I need so when I normally I'm, when we talk about our cycling at the beginning Caroline's done some like multi 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 mile hilly thing and I've uh, cycled to work and grabbed a coffee so actually what I want is a product that gives me my coffee while I cycle it's too, killing two bears with one stone and Lots of Absolutely. cyclists seek out the cafe stop for a sit down. But you, <laughs> you don't want to let up and, and uh, have it on the go. Well, well, I don't really go that far. <laughs> I'm only going from home to work, you know. <laughs> but yeah, let me have my coffee on the way and I'll, I'll, I'll be yours. <laughs> no, that's fantastic. Well, have we covered everything we wanted to cover off? Um, I think we have. I think what was really interesting, actually, the only other thing I'd say was your uh, sweepstake around the office of who had what cover. Um, mm. I think that was really, really interesting. I think it just goes to show that uh, when I was feeling underinsured, I might not be alone. Lots of people have uh, got very keen on cycling but haven't really thought about all the things that go with it. And uh, lack is a really interesting way forward. And yeah, definitely something I'm going to think about going forward. Thanks for coming on. Fantastic. Thanks, thanks a lot for your time, Lawrence. Thanks for listening. Wheel Life is brought to you by international law firm DAC Beechcraft and Barrister's Chambers. 39 Essex Chambers. Discover more articles, podcasts and webinars over at dacbeachcroft.com and 39essex.com.